the coronavirus. We are all at risk of getting it, and we can spread it even if we don't feel sick. So what can we do to protect ourselves? Stay home, limit trips to the store, wash your hands often, and if you must go out, stay six feet apart from others and wear a homemade cloth mask or scarf. Stay home, stay safe, and save lives. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. from Washington, D.C. every Wednesday from 3 to 4 p.m. for an hour-long Generation Progress takeover. Check us out at genprogress.org or on Twitter at genprogress. Hello and welcome to the Generation Progress takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your co-host, Brent J. Cohen. And I'm Charlotte Hancock. And this week, um, we're going to be picking up on where we were last week, talking about uh, communities and people and populations that are uniquely vulnerable uh, to the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, as, as we have for the last several weeks, we are doing this show remotely, um, trying to practice physical distancing. And a big thank you to all folks out there who don't have the um, opportunity or the privilege to do physical distancing because they're doing required jobs out there, working in the medical field, helping people stocking grocery shelves, uh, delivering packages, et cetera. So a big thanks to everybody out there doing that incredibly important work, work that so often goes overlooked. Um, and today we're going to be talking, as I had mentioned at the outset, about a group of folks who are being uniquely impacted here by the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, specifically undocumented immigrants and people who are being detained by immigration enforcement agencies, including ICE and CBP, uh, the, the uh, Border Patrol. So many undocumented uh, people and, and folks are on the front lines of the coronavirus response, whether they're healthcare providers themselves or essential employees making sure that basic necessities are still available to the general public. Uh, but even during a pandemic, they are forced to worry about whether or not they will be able to remain in this country. And I'll say, uh, and even the last stimulus package were intentionally and very much unnecessarily cut out of the relief that is going out to Americans across this country, um, folks who make our uh, country run. And so even where uh, there is some sort of bright spot in terms of response, uh, we are, as a country, unnecessarily cutting some out of it. And so as we await a decision from the Supreme Court on the DACA case, that's the uh, even dreamers who previously had a certain degree of certainty about their immigration status are now being forced to consider that everything might change. Just for a second, imagine the added stress that all of us are going through right now with the COVID epidemic of not even knowing if the only country that you call home will continue to welcome you here um, and you, that you'll be allowed to stay. But that's what's happening with dreamers right now awaiting the decision from the Supreme Court. 
And of course, people who are already being detained by ICE or CBP are in immediate danger, as we talked about last week, of the pandemic spreading rapidly through detention facilities uh, where they are already not receiving adequate care. And that just gets elevated here during a global pandemic. So to talk more about this situation and what can be done to protect vulnerable people, uh, very glad to be joined by uh, Sana Abrar, the Advocacy Director at United We Dream. Thanks for joining us, Sana. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And Satare Gandhari, the Advocacy Manager at the Detention Watch Network. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. So um, just to jump right in and sort of provide some a little bit of an overview about the work that both of you are doing here, um, Sana, can you tell us a bit about the mission of United We Dream and what your role as advocacy director entails? Sure thing. Uh, so United We Dream is the nation's largest immigrant youth-led network. Um, we have in our membership DACA recipients, folks who have uh, temporary protected status or TPS, as well as undocumented individuals, their family members, and of course, allies who um, are connected via family, friends, and loved ones to immigrants. Our belief at United We Dream is that as we advance justice for all immigrants, no matter where they come from, that is our, our uh, way to fight for justice for all, um, because if all of our communities are not free, then we're not free. In terms of my role as advocacy director, I oversee our federal and state and local initiatives to continue advancing policies that help immigrants and that do not harm immigrants. Um, so we're based in Washington, D.C., though we have state hubs based in California, Texas, Florida, and the D.C., Maryland area. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And Sedare, could you um, share a bit about the uh, Detention Watch Network and, and how you came to this work? Sure. So um, Detention Watch Network is a national membership organization that was founded in the late 90s to combat the explosive growth of the U.S. immigration detention system at the time. Since then, we've seen an even more massive expansion of the system where um, abuse and neglect are, are commonplace. And we believe that in this country, every person from every walk of life, including people who are immigrants, refugees, people seeking asylum, uh, should be treated with dignity and respect uh, by everyone, including our government and its institutions. For that reason, our vision at Detention Watch Network is an end to immigration detention, which we see as part and parcel of the struggles against racism, xenophobia, mass incarceration. Um, in terms of uh, how I came to this work, you know, I, as an immigrant myself, I always wanted to give back to the community. And when I was in law school, I visited an immigration detention center for the first time. And uh, what I saw there was shocking to me. And um, from that moment, I really wanted to, to, to see an end to that system. And I'm really happy to be at an organization where uh, abolition is at the forefront of our work. It's, it's our mission. And my job as advocacy manager is to um, make sure that that our that the that the opinions of our membership and that our vision um, can be reflected in in the laws that um, that we see uh, coming through from DC. Totally makes sense. And I there's something that you said um, just now uh, that particularly resonated, especially given our conversation last week with Deanna Hoskins. Um, and Anthony Robles about the vulnerabilities of folks who are incarcerated in jails and state prisons and youth facilities right now. 
Um, you, you talked about human dignity and making sure that everybody, regardless of status, it maintains that human dignity and is treated with that dignity, whether it's the government or anybody else, um, which was something that Deanna spoke um, quite a bit about in terms of uh, directly impacted folks in particular calling for not just sanitation procedures, not just the release of some folks from correction facilities, but also ensuring that that dignity is present throughout. And I think that's something that um, we talk about this oftentimes from a policy perspective and really forget that we are talking about uh, or it's easy to forget, I should say, for some folks that we're talking about people and we're talking about human dignity and people and treating people the way that uh, human, should be, human beings should be treated here. Um, and that's particularly true, but not only true during a uh, health crisis like we have today. Um, so just, uh, Sana, at a, at, a, at a high level, why are undocumented immigrants uniquely at risk during this pandemic? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, you've hit on this point here, which is that unfortunately in this country, there, is, there are many barriers and challenges for individuals as a result of their immigration status. Pre-pandemic, we have faced issues in our communities when it comes to accessing things like healthcare, higher education, um, like living with safety and dignity and not being targeted by federal enforcement agencies like ICE or uh, Border Patrol. And now what this pandemic has done is it has only exacerbated a lot of those deeply rooted issues in immigrant communities. Um, for one, when it comes to healthcare access, although for uh, many U.S. citizens, uh, testing, uh, testing and coverage uh, for COVID-19 are being covered, uh, there are barriers to access for undocumented immigrants all across the country who, as a result of their immigration status, are being barred from free coverage and are having to pay out of pocket. And you can imagine that for anyone who's uninsured, for anyone who's undocumented, that's a lot of money, especially when it comes to uh, the the um, the high cost of hospital stays um, and getting the care that people need to to recover and get better. Um, it also has something to do with uh, with the fact that many immigrants um, in this country work on the front lines. And when I say front lines, I mean the healthcare industry. I mean grocery store workers, restaurant workers, um, child care providers the essential workers who are continuing to go to work um, and serve their communities uh, because they can't stay at home. And that also includes people who cannot afford to stay home because they need to keep getting paychecks to, uh, to take care of their families. Um, Center for American Progress released a report this past week showing that 29,000 DACA recipients work in the healthcare industry over 200,000 DACA recipients work in many of these frontline industries that are essential to keep the country running um, and keep taking care of people. And that does not speak for the millions of undocumented people who work in jobs out in the fields, um, picking our fruits and vegetables, the um, workers who are at the restaurants providing carryout and delivery so that people can continue to eat um, and go to grocery stores and, and uh, be served there. Um, immigrants are everywhere. Uh, and I think there is something key here to recognize that immigrants are not just valuable because of the work that they provide. As we've stated in this, in this show, 
immigrants are valuable because they're human beings. We're all human beings. And by virtue of, of being here and living in community together, we all deserve um, the right to be free, to be safe, um, and to be treated with respect. Absolutely. Absolutely. Living in community together. When we come back from this break, we're going to talk more about some of the work that both of you have going on and the what we can do here to make sure that we're protecting uh, all folks that we're in community with. We'll be right back with the Generation Progress Take over the Leslie Marshall Show. Welcome back to the Anderson Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I am your co-host, Charlotte Hancock. And I'm Brent J. Cohen. Uh, and today on the show, we have, um, this is a Generation Progress doing this takeover remotely. Uh, Brent and I are doing this from our homes. We bought microphones um, on the internet. And um, thanks so much to our producer, Mark, uh, and also um, our press associate, senior press associate, Emily, for helping to make sure that these technical uh, situations get worked out and continue to keep doing things as we've been um, going. It's a definitely weird time. So everybody's taking it one day at a time. Um, today we have uh, joining us remotely via phone, uh, Sanaa Abrar, the Advocacy Director at United We Dream, and also Sitara Gandahari, the Advocacy Manager at the Detention Watch Network. Thanks so much again to both of you for joining us. We've got a, a show today where we're talking a little bit about um, how immigrants um, are disproportionately uh, impacted um, by COVID-19. Um, obviously, it's impacting all sorts of different populations uh, differently, um, but immigrants and undocumented folks um, are particularly um, at risk from this here. And just before the commercial break, we were talking about the um, undocumented uh, individuals who are on the front lines of this um, pandemic and um, continuing to deliver food, make sure uh, food gets picked on farms, make sure that um, people are protected in hospitals and that sort of thing. Um, but we also uh, have a, a, a sort of crisis on our hands when it comes to the current state of immigration detention um, and enforcement right now during the pandemic. Um, Satara, has anything changed at this point? What's that looking like right now? Yeah, so, you know, many people are shocked to learn that the U.S. government uh, systemically deprives thousands of immigrants and refugees and people seeking asylum of their liberty in the largest um, immigration detention system in the world. In this particular moment, as of March 28th, there are almost 36,000 people in ICE custody in a network of over 200 jails and detention centers across the country. So this number is down slightly due to the massive grassroots pressure and legal actions that we've been seeing to get people out of detention during this public health crisis. But 36,000 is still way too many people. The dip is also partially due to the fact that the administration has effectively shut down the southern border in response to the pandemic. So actually what we're finding is that internally, ICE apprehensions have only dropped um, like in the interior by about 1,000 people in the past month. So that means that they still booked almost 10,000 people into ICE custody. So ICE is still ruthlessly targeting and detaining people, even, the midst, even in the midst of this global pandemic. Um, and, you know, thousands of doctors, hundreds, hundreds of organizations have been urgently sounding the alarm since early March that people in immigration detention are sitting ducks in a system that's notoriously fatally flawed. Um, 
uh, that's known from being fatally flawed, having fatally flawed medical care, abysmal conditions that only worsen in times of crisis. Um, and even a former acting director of ICE has called for the release of people in detention. So I think you're you're pointing out um, two really important things here. One, uh, it's impossible to social distance um, if you are locked up in a in a detention center. Um, number one, um, it's impossible for people to to practice social distancing. And number two, uh, the federal government seem it seems like they have a lot on their hands and a lot that they should be working on. I cannot believe that they're still expending resources to lock up people in detention centers. I cannot believe that one of their priorities is having ICE continue to operate as usual. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, we know that, you know, immigration detention, even under normal circumstances without a pandemic, people face, you know, abysmal conditions. They don't have access to adequate soap, toilet paper, shampoo. Um, The food that they're served is often expired and moldy. They face verbal and physical abuse. Um, On top of all of this, you know, there's well-documented record of medical abuse and neglect. And all of this compounds to increase the risk of contracting COVID-19 inside detention. And then, you know, when you have people being apprehended and coming in, you have um, ICE employees and contractors, you know, they're out in their communities where they can contract the virus and then and then bring it into the detention center. So it's just a really, um, it's just, it's a bad situation for the folks who are inside and trapped. And it's also just not good public health policy to continue to keep them there for all of us. You know, I just, I want to add two things to that, because I, I think um, the fact that uh, immigration enforcement or detention is happening in the interior at almost the same level is really egregious here. When you think about the fact that we also need folks, whether they're documented or undocumented, to come forward and say, hey, I need health care right now. I'm showing signs or symptoms of COVID-19. The only way that we're going to stop or slow the spread of this is if folks are in a position to get the health care that they need um, and take care of themselves. And if people are scared about detention and possible de- deportation right now, then you essentially have undocumented immigrants living in the shadows, even if they're showing signs and symptoms of COVID-19 and need help. And so that jeopardizes our public health and our public safety as well, because as we said at the outset, we are in community together. And I'll say the second thing is, not only can you not social distance inside, but these are prime breeding grounds for all the reason you said before about inadequate healthcare, et cetera, to spread quickly through these facilities. And just as contractors and employees bring it inside, they're also bringing it back home with them too. And so for those reasons, we just it's just incredibly egregious in addition to human dignity. Let's talk more when we come back from this break here. Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your co-host, Brent J. Cohen. And I'm Charlotte Hancock. And we're talking today with two guests about the importance and um, situation impacting undocumented immigrants right now in the face of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, we're joined by uh, Sana Abrar from the United We Dream and Setare Gandari from Detention Watch Network. Thank you both for coming back with us. So I um, want to jump right back in. Um, we've been talking 
before the break about uh, the conditions that folks inside detention facilities are already facing and the fact that ICE and, uh, is not uh, even slowing down their current enforcement actions in the interior of our country. Um, and also in the midst of all of this, we're also anticipating that the Supreme Court may soon make a decision on DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals case. Um, so, uh, Sana, could you share with us a bit about the case and, and what people should expect regarding this decision? Of course. Uh, so, um, just quick, quick timeline here. On September 5th, 2017, the Trump administration attempted to terminate uh, completely the DACA program or Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. This program was uh, implemented after a huge uh, movement demand from youth, families, uh, and immigration allies uh, during the Obama administration calling for protections for immigrant youth. And to this day, nearly 800,000 people have been able to access uh, protections from deportation, work permits, healthcare access, higher ed access, driver's licenses as a result of DACA. With September 5th, 2017, that changed everything. And now this current administration has been using the courts to end it completely. Right now, DACA recipients who have DACA can renew their work permits um, for a period of two years at each interval. Um, what the administration has been doing has been trying to even get rid of that renewals process end the program completely to the point where they have fought in court after court to now where we are at the Supreme Court, um, which the administration is trying to use to end the program completely. Um, so like you heard me say, if the, admin, if the Supreme Court makes an unfavorable decision and sides with uh, Trump on this issue, this puts nearly 800,000 individuals, immigrant youth, young adults at risk of deportation, of losing jobs, of losing access. And many of these people, particularly during the COVID-19 pandemic, have actually become breadwinners, have become the sole, um, uh, uh, the, the sole um, folks in their households who are um, continuing to make a, a steady paycheck, um, who are supporting undocumented family members, brothers, sisters, paying their rent, paying for their school um, in this extremely uncertain time. And I think you pointed out at the beginning here of, can you imagine going through the stress and anxiety of trying to keep your family together, safe and supported? And then also knowing that the Supreme Court is going to rule any day now in the next few weeks to few months on the fate of this program that has helped hundreds of thousands of people. And we can also say millions of immigrants as a result of those people being helped. Now with the Supreme Court decision, the next decision day is potentially as soon as April 20th. The Supreme Court is unfortunately continuing to release opinions and orders through the midst of this crisis. Um, however, we have been making a call as United We Dream, calling on the Supreme Court to delay decision-making um, on DACA during the crisis. Right now, our communities need help, and they need support, and they need solutions that work. We're investing in our communities to make sure that they have the resources they need to call on policymakers, decision-makers, to invest in immigrant communities. 
right now is not the time for the Supreme Court to be issuing a decision on DACA. Um, and we've worked with plaintiffs in one of the DACA cases to actually file a formal briefing with the court, asking them to consider the, the huge implications of a DACA decision during a national health crisis. You know, I we so first of all, thank you for the call that you've made in the leadership of United We Dream calling for the Supreme Court to to announce a delay in this decision. Uh, Generation Progress was proud to join you in that call. And again, appreciate your leadership um, because it's the clear right thing to happen here uh, is for uh, the decision to be delayed and for it to be clear that 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 the decision will be delayed so that folks are not waiting essentially almost every Monday for the last couple of weeks, and now again, April 20th is the next potential date, to see whether or not their legal status in terms of immigration status is going to be rescinded. I mean, it it, it, it amounts to, to near torture uh, in some respects. And, and in addition to, to the individual impact that it has, we know, as you mentioned, 800,000 DACA recipients, mixed status families, other folks out there, the number impacted is in fact um, even greater than that, and it includes nearly thirty thousand DACA recipients who are healthcare workers, currently on the front lines of the COVID nineteen crisis, providing essential and critical care to people who are sick right now in a pandemic that the United States has not seen for more than a hundred years. And yet, these nearly thirty thousand DACA recipients are still at risk of deportation if this case is to be decided by the Supreme Court in favor of the Trump administration. So what can people who who want to um, stand in allyship and protect dreamers do regardless of the SCOTUS ruling? Is there anything that folks who are listening can, any action that they can take now? Yeah, um, so we want you to join our movement. Uh, if uh, you're near your phone right now, you can text the words to all together, home is here to the number 877-877. Again, that's home is here to 877-877. That's a really easy way to get plugged into our our calls to action. Um, It was those folks who were plugged in who got the notification after we were able to file this briefing with the plaintiffs in the DACA case to then go online and tweet out your stories about Why is it that you, as an individual, as an immigrant, as an ally, as a DACA recipient, why is it that you, during this moment of crisis, are calling on the Supreme Court to delay on a decision? We're also on Twitter at United We Dream. Um, You can follow us there. We have many calls to action going on right now. One of them that I wanted to highlight for um, this conversation is that as much as we need to continue the heat on Congress to uh, pass permanent solutions that help DACA recipients and TPS holders that are not tied to more funding for ICE and CBP, um, that Congress needs to expand uh, health coverage for all immigrants, expand economic assistance for immigrants. There's another group of people out there that need to feel that heat, and that is the governors of all 50 states. They have the power to expand health care for all immigrants, regardless of status. They have the power to pass state-based stimulus packages to provide individual grants cash assistance to all people, regardless of immigration status. If there's anything that, that um, particularly lately under the Trump administration that, that I've been trying to make a point of saying to people, it's that immigration, the issue, the policy on immigration, it's not just a federal congressional issue. The governors, state and local leaders, 
mayors have so much power when it comes to expanding benefits, healthcare, assistance, support, community funds um, to help people in our communities, whether they're DACA recipients, TPS holders, undocumented community members, and just in general, all the people who are uninsured and not covered and need help. Yeah, it's such an incredibly important point. Um, we've done actions in the past targeting governors focused on things as simple, if that's a, in a, in a usable word here, as driver's licenses. Because we know that if undocumented immigrants are driving to work, that they are then paying taxes on, uh, yet they're cut out of stimulus checks, but they're paying taxes on and they need to drive to work, oftentimes they're looking for an opportunity to get to work without getting pulled over for driving without a license. And we know if someone gets pulled over for driving without a license, depending on the state, it can actually enter them into the criminal justice system, which puts them more at risk for deportation. And so you have folks who are uh, being labeled as a quote unquote threat to public safety simply for trying to get to work to provide for their families and oftentimes also providing essential services that the rest of us all use and benefit from. And that's a place where the state legislature or state governor just has uh, incredible opportunity to show leadership uh, in the face of the abdication of leadership of our current Congress and uh, and White House. Um, uh, Cedare, I don't know if you have anything to add about things that folks can do or, or actions that can be taken here um, in the interim. Sure. So, um, you know, we... Uh we recently released a report um, that kind of outlines some of the asks that we have um, that we are, you know, we, I agree with Asana that it's incredibly important to target as many different levels of government that you can. So, um, you know, right now we're calling on, um, on Congress to, well, we're calling on the immediate for the immediate release of all detained immigrants to mitigate the spread of COVID-19. Now for that, you can reach out to governors, you can reach out to field office directors, you can reach out to your members of Congress to put pressure on ICE um, nationally and the local offices. We're also calling um, for a cease um, on all enforcement operations to prevent new people from being detained and to ensure, as you mentioned earlier, that immigrants are not afraid to seek medical attention. Um, we're calling for an elimination of all check-ins, mandatory court appearances, um, you know, so that folks can comply with social distancing recommendations. And as long as people are detained, we're calling on ICE um, to provide soap and hand sanitizer and other hygiene products uh, freely and make it widely available to folks who are detained. So to make these um, demands, you can reach out to your members of Congress, you can reach out to local field office director, directors. Um, we're just coming off of a week of action, um, and we have a great toolkit that folks can use um, that has the campaigns that folks are running locally. Um, you can find all of that on our website and our Facebook page. On our website, we have a specific um, COVID-19 tab that has all of our resources. And you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Detention Watch um, to get plugged into all the work. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And so um, when we come back from this break, we're going to we're going to re-up the Generation Progress Takeover, the Leslie Marshall Show, with our final segment coming up just after the break to talk more about the ways folks can take action, what's happening right now in the immigration space, and again, how folks can learn more about the incredible work both of your organizations are doing. We'll be right back. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. 
Hello, and welcome back to a Generation Progress takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I am your co-host, Charlotte Hancock. And I am Brent J. Cohen. Um, and today joining us uh, digitally, virtually, remotely, however uh, however folks are working, um, we have Sanaa Abrar, the Advocacy Director at United We Dream, as well as Satara Gandhari, the Advocacy Manager at the Detention Watch Network. Thank you both for so much for joining us over the phone um, and for uh, social distancing um, and staying staying safe with us. Um, so I wanted to, I, I know we have just a, a little bit of time left um, before we're wrapping the show, um, but I thought it, there are just some really interesting uh, parallels, um, unfortunately, um, with what is going on um, in the criminal justice reform world, um, as well as what is going on um, in detention centers and the difficulty um, or impossibility uh, for social distancing and the total disregard for human life um, that seems to be uh, just, I guess, the status quo um, for this administration. So, um, Satara, I know you recently wrote a report on how ICE is putting immigrants at risk during the pandemic called Courting Catastrophe, how ICE is gambling with immigrant lives amid a global pandemic. And I know we talked a little bit about some of this. Um, what were some of your top findings in the report here? Sure. So, um the report outlines how all people inside immigration detention are extremely vulnerable to the spread of infectious diseases, uh, such as COVID-19, um, due to some of the things we've talked about, the lack of sanitation and basic necessities to practice proper hygiene, and a troubling and shameful record of medical neglect and death inside detention. Um, there have been numerous reports by advocates and the DHS Office of the Inspector General of ICE failing to take these basic precautions inside detention centers. For example, the OIG reported that bathrooms at um, the Stewart Detention Center in Georgia, for example, lacked hot water. And individuals at both Stewart and Hudson County Jails in New Jersey and others that we've, we've seen um, documented as well are not provided with, um, don't provide adequate supplies of toilet paper and soap. Um, and ICE has repeatedly shown uh, that they're in, incapable of adequately, adequately responding to outbreaks of contagious diseases and providing the proper care that people need in custody. Uh, for example, in October of 2018, the Texas Department of State Health Services reported five confirmed cases of mumps among immigrants that had been transferred between two ICE detention centers. So that was October 2018. By August of 2019, there were 898 reports of mumps cases. And over 57 facilities. So according to the CDC report, 84% of the patients were exposed to mumps while they were in custody. So this, for us, this rapid spread of mumps foretells what could happen when people in ICE custody are exposed to COVID-19. Um, and keeping people in, in immigration detention in this way puts, puts their health at risk and puts our collective health at risk. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's um, such an important point. I mean, beyond in addition to this being a humanitarian um, crisis for for those um, currently being detained, I, I mean, it's a sort of ridiculous, uh, false setup to think that like uh, we, we can 
protect um, other people. If, if, if some people are not receiving health care, then that's going to impact more than just those people. We know how quickly this spreads. You know, this is this is not something that uh, everybody needs to re be receiving the same amount of um, health care. Everybody needs to be receiving um, the ability to uh, socially distance. Um, it's not just bad for those people who are being detained. Uh, it's bad for uh, the rest of the country, the rest of the world, too. It's sort of this fake setup that this is going to be fixed by uh, setting up borders or um, allowing only some people to access healthcare. That's just not how disease is. That's not how this virus works. Um, so now, United We Dream has been calling for ICE to be abolished and or defunded uh, for a long time now. Um, how will those campaigns continue during this pandemic? Um, well, that question comes at a well-timed moment because I'm privileged enough to be in this space with Satare, who represents Detention Watch Network, and both of our organizations actually co-lead uh, the Defund Hate campaign, um, which has been the vehicle through which we've been calling for cuts in funding to ICE and CBP, particularly since the beginning of um, the Trump administration. And so that work continues. Uh, frankly, ICE and CBP are uh, being treated as essential agencies in, a, in an emergency crisis, continuing to deport people, continuing to conduct raids and detentions all throughout our communities, and taking advantage of the fact that they know that many of our people are sheltering in place and are at home, which is frankly despicable. And so with all of that said, one of our main goals is defund hate is to push back on any notion that ICE and CBP should be receiving more funding to detain and deport more immigrants during this crisis. That advocacy is being uh, done via our work in Congress, where we are educating members, we're talking to staff about the reasoning behind why ICE and CBP, which are already bloated agencies when it comes to billions of dollars of funding already should not be receiving more funding, especially after what you've heard from Satare and the report that DWN has done showing that they are, uh, they are hosts of abusive conditions, terrible environments for immigrants anyway. They are not caretakers. They are not homemakers at all. Immigrants should not be locked up and in detention in the first place. That is not how our country should be running or treating immigrants. And we'll continue to fight back and push back against any, um, any attempt to try and give uh, even one more dollar to the agencies of ICE and CBP and instead call for cuts in funding to these agencies. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll, I'll just say again, uh, at Generation Progress, we are grateful for, for the leadership of both of your organizations as we were um, uh, proud last year to join the Defund Hate campaign um, and stand alongside you and so many other organizations who are making this case that conditions with inside facilities are uh, just awful no matter what. I think they're being highlighted right now because of the current situation, but they are conditions that nobody should ever be forced to live in at any point, regardless of, of documented status. And so um, as we uh, prepare here, we just have about 30 seconds left. If you could share with us one more time your website and where folks can find you. Yeah, you can visit unitedwedream.org and find us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at United We Dream. Great, thank you. And Satare? And we're at detentionwatchnetwork.org and you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at detentionwatch. 
And you can find us at Gen Progress on all social media accounts. Thanks for joining us. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you ultimate control. With the XFi app, you can pause the Wi-Fi at the push of a button. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash XFi.